This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Today's episode is presented by Lloyd's Banking Group. Everyone deserves a safe place to call home. That's why Lloyd's Banking Group has championed the social housing sector for decades, supporting more than 340 housing associations across the UK. We need to better shield ourselves from malign interference. And this is why we will present a Defense of Democracy Pact. It will bring forward covert foreign influence. It will shed the light on shady funding. We will not allow any autocracies, Trojan horses, to attack our democracies from within. That's European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen addressing the European Parliament back in September in her annual State of the Union address. Today, we all see that we must fight for our democracies. Every single day, every single minute. We must protect them both from the external threats they face, but also from the vice that corrode them from within. In the coming weeks, she's expected to bring forward the Commission's long-promised Defence of Democracy package. Though the aim is to combat foreign influence in the European Union, some in Brussels are asking, at what cost? I'm Suzanne Lynch, Politico's Chief Brussels Correspondent. Today, we're diving into the EU's latest attempt to combat foreign influence and why it may be trickier than it seems. Later, we'll hear from a representative from Transparency International. That's an organisation which aims to fight corruption, about how these new rules could actually hinder their work. But first, we wanted to have a better understanding of the extent to which foreign influence is a problem in the European Union and what the EU plans to do about it. To start us off, we're joined by Ivana Karashkova. She's the Commission's Special Advisor on Foreign Influence. So, Ivana, could you explain a bit about the Defence of Democracy package that's forthcoming from the Commission? Yeah, well, the logic behind the legislation is to increase transparency and to shed light on financial flows from outside of the EU, so coming from the third countries, aiming at influencing European decision-making processes. So in a nutshell, the directive requires entities and also individuals who provide interest representation services on behalf of foreign governments to provide some basic information to national public registers. It could cover lobbying and public relations companies. It could cover consultants, in-house lobbyists, think tanks, private research institutes, uh, media or even civil society organizations. But as long as these entities are used by foreign governments as vehicles to influence public life and democratic processes, 
In a sense, it's not anything new because there is a couple of registers working in member states already. The problem here is that they regulate or they require registration differently in different member states. So that's why harmonization is needed. Just explain to us a bit more about what that means. When I talk about harmonization, what I mean is that a number of member states already have some kind of public registers where the lobbying companies or NGOs providing interest representation services, they have to either mandatory or voluntary, that's first problem because it's different in different in each member state, they have to provide some very basic information on their name, on uh, their yearly turnout and so on. As this is regulated in different countries differently, and some countries are actually thinking about coming up with their own legislation, the European Commission feels an urge to actually harmonize the already established practices and make sure that member states do not go below or above some criteria. So can you give us some examples, for example, on China? This is an area you have worked on. Well, I would start with saying that the interference in EU's democratic processes is not some kind of imaginative or theoretical challenge. I and many other academics, scholars, NGOs, practitioners, investigative journalists have actually spent years documenting numerous cases of hacking of lawmakers ahead of elections, coercion of politicians who, for example, expressed a wish to travel to Taiwan, covered lobbying via proxies, hiding behind seemingly independent think tanks and NGOs, different cases of foreign embassies secretly funding classes at EU public universities to teach positively on their country and so on. And most of those politically influenced campaigns, which I cover and my colleagues cover, are done on behalf of either Russia or China. EU in this sense is very open and this openness has been exploited for a number of years. Well, you asked about specific examples. One very recent case, which I researched in the Czech Republic, was the case of China Radio International outsourcing its programming to local commercial radios, which are normally playing rock and roll and rock music. And these radios were for three and a half years on a daily basis, given scripts what to air in their programming for 30 minutes, so six times a week. There was this special program called Colorful World, Barevni Svet in the Czech language, which talked about China from very many angles, Chinese culture, Chinese history. And one specific feature which uh, occurred for in more than 1000 episodes, actually, which were aired, was an admiration for not only People's Republic of China, but also Communist Party of China. Čínská medicína a zdravý životní styl, sport a bojová umění, kultura a život v Číně, filozofie, historie a památky UNESCO. Barevný svět. Každý den od 18 hodin na rádiu Hej. You may argue that it's not a problem at all. Commercial radios can air whatever they like to air as long as it doesn't breach local legislation or as long as It doesn't include hate speech and so on. The problem here was that for three and a half years, both of those commercial radios never disclosed that they have links to China Radio International. That's a state broadcaster from People's Republic of China. And they misled the public in believing that these programs, these 30 minutes every day, are actually produced by those commercial radios. 
So finally, what's the timeline here with this directive? The Commission is due to come forward with this package. What happens next? Well, the time frame is really tight because of the election cycle. So any kind of legislation, not only this one, but basically any kind of legislation needs to be published before summer. So the European Parliament have enough of the time and other stakeholders as well have enough of the time to debate it. The legislation, in my view, is actually already overdue because the problem is enormous and it will not disappear. On the contrary, with like-minded partners such as the United States, such as United Kingdom, such as Australia, requesting more transparency in their jurisdictions, guess where all the broke players will go? Well, they will go to jurisdictions which do not require any transparency and where they know that they can influence decision-making processes easily and then they can get away with it. So you envisage a situation where the EU could become that weak link if it doesn't move in tandem with other big jurisdictions. It could become a safe haven, if you like, for this kind of illegal activity. Well, it already is, and we have seen it in very numerous other cases as well, with transfer of technologies from different countries to China. So once the country started to actually close their security loopholes, once they started to introduce some kind of safeguards for the key research on emerging technologies, not to actually leak to authoritarian regime states, well, we have seen that China moved to those places which are lacking behind in terms of protection. So you're saying that Europe could become a kind of a weak link, as you said there, if it doesn't keep up with what's happening with other jurisdictions. Tell us a bit more about what they're doing in comparison to the EU's ambition. Well, there have been some labels flying around, such as Foreign Agents Act and so on. And I would like to probably debunk this kind of misinformation or a myth. So the European Union legislation is diverse quite significantly from FARA, from Foreign Agents Registration Act in the US, and it diverse a lot from Russian foreign agent law. I think it's comparable to an extent as you can compare an apple or a red plastic ball. Yes, it is round. Yes, it is red, but that's about it. So some jurisdictions outside of the EU, such as Australia, the United States or the United Kingdom, have introduced or are planning frameworks to regulate the transparency of foreign government influence by means of specific disclosure and registration requirements. Other jurisdictions, such as Russia, are passing foreign agent laws. And the aim of these laws has been and have been to stigmatize civil society organizations and human rights defenders, which are often funded from abroad, and to restrict the civil space. For example, the Russian law on foreign agent introduces intrusive inspections of NGOs, direct oversight over programs and events, threat of criminal procedures, and so on. So the EU draft of the directive is just a transparency tool. It does not block any messages or activities. It doesn't come up with criminal penalties. It doesn't come up with prohibitively high sanctions. It doesn't stigmatize civil society organizations. So that's the difference. And it has been really unfortunate that this kind of legislation already received a lot of labels, which I don't think are correct. And I was happy to explain here the difference between different jurisdictions and what other countries are actually doing. Then this is not exactly what the EU plans to do. Thanks, Ivana, for joining us. Very happy to be here. Thank you. And coming up next. You can call it whatever you like, but it is a foreign agent act because it puts obligations on entities 
in the union that are being funded from abroad. That's the whole premise of a foreign agent act. And the problem is, is that it is notoriously abused in the countries that do have them and loved by autocracies such as Russia, who also have them. We'll reveal why some in Brussels have serious concerns about the Commission's plan. Stay with us. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. A message from Lloyd's Banking Group. Lloyd's Banking Group has championed social housing for decades. It provides finance, expertise and guidance to more than 340 housing associations across the UK. These range from small local associations of several hundred homes to much larger regional associations responsible for tens of thousands of properties. Each has an important role to play in their community to help people find a safe place to call home. Improving access to quality and affordable homes is central to Lloyds Banking Group's commitment to helping Britain prosper. That's why Lloyds Banking Group is calling for one million more homes to be made available for social rent over the next decade. So to dissect this further, I'm joined by Politico's chief policy correspondent and author of our weekly EU influence newsletter, Sarah Wheaton. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Suzanne. Good to have you with us here in studio. And Nick Iosa, he's Deputy Director and Head of Policy and Advocacy at Transparency International. Hey there, Nick. Hi, thanks for having me. Good to have you here. So, Sarah, how significant is this package that we're expecting in the next few weeks from the Commission? Well, we have to separate out the symbolism from the actual text So to look at the symbolism, Commission President Ursula von der Leyen announced this to the surprise of some in her State of the European Union address last fall. And at the time, sort of nefarious influence from Russia and China were really of top concern. And there's a lot of fears about whether there will be integrity for the European parliament elections that are coming up in about a year from now. And so she announced this idea of a defensive democracy package that was meant to fight this type of influence. So since then, we've had the Qatargate scandal. There's been a lot of concern about whether civil society groups and lobbyists are actually who they say they are. We already kind of were concerned about think tanks, you know, actually being just fronts for Russia and China. But now we are reminded that many countries, including Gulf states, do that. They might be funding NGOs. They might be doing Lord knows what else. And so the focus of this package has really changed, at least politically, into sort of an effort to get more details about third country funding of really, again, we don't know the full details, but it could be just about any type of entity, whether it's lobbyists, NGOs, think tanks, 
Okay, so yeah, as you explained there, this was already on track because uh, von der Leyen, President von der Leyen, announced this interstate of the Union address with this idea that the European elections are coming up next year. You know, there could be issues of foreign influence, but as you explained there, the whole Qatargate scandal that you have covered so closely here in Politico really kind of made it more relevant. So, I mean, this sounds like kind of a good thing, the European Union trying to kind of get its house in order when it comes to foreign influence. So... As a reporter who's just greedy for any information I can possibly get, and I should say as a reporter operating in an environment where there's a lot of openness to civil society, where they don't face a lot of stigma, where opposition can kind of speak freely, I am kind of excited about any idea that would provide me with more information about just about anything. Because I remember when, you know, the war in Ukraine first broke out, I was trying to learn more about Russian lobbying and Russian influence in the European Union. And we have places where lobbyists in general are supposed to register, say who they're working for. But actually, if you're working for a third country, you don't actually have to register. There's sort of this like diplomatic uh, exclusion. Wow. At the moment in the EU. So they have this lobbying transparency register. Mm -hmm. For a company, for entities. But if you're a government, that doesn't apply. Right, right. Ah. So, I mean, some lobbyists insist that they put their sovereign, uh, if they're working for a foreign government, they insist that they put it in there, but they don't actually have to. They're not sort of beholden to the same rules. So I am excited about the idea of having more information, but there are a lot of concerns that perhaps this could go too far. Yeah. So how has it gone down here in Brussels so far? I mean, there was a consultation open, I believe, for a few months on this directive, on this package. Yes, there was a consultation and NGOs, lobbyists, other interest groups were invited to weigh in and they are actually quite alarmed. And we're in this sort of ironic situation where the civil society groups who are usually working closely with the commission, especially with Commissioner Vera Jourova, to sort of improve democracy, improve the state of civil society. Many of these groups are actually very alarmed about what is going to be in this package. So Nick, coming to you from Transparency International, your organization is one of the organizations at the forefront of you know, the fight against corruption and trying to get more transparency, but you're not entirely happy. What's going on here? Yes, I mean, quite right. This began before Qatargate and it was a well-intentioned but yet misguided and reckless endeavor to try and tackle the nefarious funding from foreign governments and Russian and Chinese influence. Of course, we're all for more transparency. We would love to have that information that uh, Sarah alluded to, that we would be able to see more financial disclosures from lobbyists, more funding streams, who's influencing whom and who's paying for it. And on that, we would fully support for instance, an EU lobby act that covered all interest representatives in the union. The problem is, is this is not that tool. That is not what's being proposed. What's being proposed is a foreign influence act or a foreign agent act. We don't know about it much in the union because the only country who's attempted to do a foreign agent act was Hungary five years ago, and the commission took them to court for it and won. There's not a global example of a good foreign agent act. These foreign agent acts are loved by autocracies because they're used to stigmatize, silence, or abuse civil society, journalists, and dissenting voices. There was a reason why the commission rightly criticized the recent efforts in Georgia to bring about a similar law. 
The law, which has received initial approval, would require media outlets and NGOs that receive more than 20% of their funding from foreign sources to register as agents of foreign influence. Passing the law would see Georgia join a list of undemocratic and authoritarian post-Soviet states like Belarus, Tajikistan and Azerbaijan, which have copied Russian law on restricting the activities of NGOs. There's been widespread international condemnation of the bill, including from the EU foreign policy chief Joseph Borrell, who has warned the law is incompatible with EU values and standards. And the US embassy... That's what we're talking about. We are talking about putting obligations on certain sectors of interest representatives and lobbyists that are foreign funded. And so are we going to see a, a huge amount of information in 2026 when this is finally transposed that's going to expose Russian and Chinese money flowing into the union? Probably not. Uh, if you wanted to tackle Russian and Chinese influence, the first port of call would probably be to look at political party financing. The problem is, in an election year, you need to be seen to be doing something, and the union can't legislate on political party financing. So this is what they've come up with. Ah, so a bit of a Trojan horse. I mean, we do have to uh, bring in the commission's view on this. I mean, we spoke earlier to Ivana Karaskova, who made the point that this is not the FARA Act, that Foreign Agent Registration Act that you're describing. Let's hear what she's got to say. So there is also this argument that maybe an effort to clamp down on foreign interference, that could backfire and that it could stifle free speech and the activity of legitimate NGOs throughout Europe. Well, I have been designing and running projects for civil society organizations for the past 16 years. And I'm approaching this directive from a perspective of both an expert on interference and someone actually coming from the NGO sector. And, and I'm not concerned by the lack of space for civil society organizations or lack of respect for them or by lack of democratic processes in the European Union in general. However, I'm concerned by the fact that authoritarian regimes interfere with elections, they utilize media and think tanks to spread propaganda, and they hide behind proxies. As I said, EU is very open, and this openness has been exploited before. When it comes to the critique, I would urge the decision makers and the public to read the directive when it is published, so we can have a substantiated debate based on the measures which are proposed in the directive and also safeguards which are proposed to exactly safeguard civil society organizations in the European Union and not to base it on misinformation or gossips about the draft of the directive, which is still not published yet. And when it is published, I think it would be clear what the legislation can and cannot achieve. Obviously, it's not a silver bullet. None of the legislations ever is. But it's still better than what we have right now, where we are very open and there is actually no light on financial flows coming from the third countries to interfere in the European Union. What a better argument, Nick, there that we heard this earlier from Ivana, that if the EU doesn't do something like that, that the US and other jurisdictions are moving forward with these kind of proposals. And if the EU doesn't, it's going to become a, a kind of easy target for foreign influence and a weak link, if you like, in the whole international infrastructure and that it's going to be left behind. 
Sure, but uh, but other countries really aren't doing that. The U.S. has had a FARA or a Foreign Agent Act in place since 1930s to address Nazi propaganda before World War II, but it hasn't worked well. And again, it was countlessly abused against civil society, mostly by Republican senators over the years. Uh, there isn't a good example in the Western world on a Foreign Agent Act. The problem is, is that what she might be referring to uh, of different laws needing to be harmonized is lobby acts. This tool, I know she doesn't think that it's a foreign agent act, but it, you can call it whatever you like, but it is a foreign agent act because it puts obligations on entities in the union that are being funded from abroad. That's the whole premise of a foreign agent act. And the problem is, is that it is notoriously abused in the countries that do have them and loved by autocracies such as Russia, who also have them. Sarah. Nick, can you, though, just when you say lobby act, what is the difference mm-hmm. between that and a foreign agents act? Well, it's the scope that's the difference. And one is is subject to abusing certain sectors under that scope. And, and one isn't. One is horizontal. One is comprehensive. One would be like the transparency register. So what they will ask member states to do is essentially have an EU style transparency register that we have in Brussels, but only for the lobbyists that are foreign funded. Yeah. And what they're getting you excited about is a very minimal amount Mm -hmm. of information when they could be looking at this in a much more holistic approach and looking at potential internal threats to democracy, not just external threats. So what we would suggest is that if they really want to raise transparency, raise the financial disclosure requirements, get that information on who's influencing whom from abroad or otherwise, have an EU lobby act that covers everyone that is based on the example of the transparency register at an EU level. But what they're doing is a reckless exercise because you have the instrument itself and they'll tell you that the biggest, you know, most sound safeguards will be built into it. But they didn't do their homework on this. They didn't appreciate the risks because, yes, you have the risks to potential NGOs and journalists in 2026 when this is transposed by countries like Hungary. But the real risk that you can see today without having passed the law is the geopolitical damage that will be caused and the credibility lost through the passage of this. The commission will simply not be able to get up and criticize Georgia for a foreign agent act next time around if they've just proposed their own. So, Nick, just to put a really fine point on it, when you're saying you'd be cool with a lobby act, you mean something where everybody, no matter who they are, if they're trying to have an influence – on EU legislation, they need to share certain amounts of information versus a quote-unquote Foreign Agents Act, which would apply these disclosure rules only to groups that get some sort of third country funding. Is that a fair summary? That's an exact summary, yes. Okay. I mean, I think the thing that's been interesting to me is all these NGOs who are obviously not funded by China or Russia seem quite alarmed You know, why is Transparency International concerned about more transparency from a foreign, uh, even if it is a foreign agents act? You know, I got to wonder if uh, if part of it is that, you know, Uncle Sam actually turns out to be behind a lot of this stuff. Again, we're not against transparency. And what I do think that the commission will ultimately find at the end of this uh, legislative rainbow is a limit to data set that will show that, yes, the, the U.S. government, as well as foundations, are generally funding civil society. Our problem, of course, is, is that if you limit it to only foreign agents and not others, you're going to stigmatize civil society and journalists who are getting that funding, as many examples globally have shown. 
Sarah, you know, is this a priority for the Commission, do you think? We're a year out from the European elections, as we said before. We're going to have a change at the European Commission level in terms of commissioners, etc. Is this uh, something that can get done, that can get finished before the end of this mandate? What I'm hearing is it has to. Like, the Commission president announced it last year. It's part of her agenda that is also linked to an anti-corruption package, to an ethics body package, to show that before and after Qatargate, she was taking corruption and undue influence seriously. And ahead of the European Parliament elections, there is a lot of pressure on her to show that she is doing something. Now, again, this gets back to the point that I was making at the very beginning of the symbolism versus the actual sort of practicalities of it. By the time this goes through the legislative process, um, and also big parts of this are a directive, which means that each capital would then need to sort of take the EU legislation and turn it into their own domestic legislation before implementing it. None of this is very little will be implemented before the election. But the symbolism of saying, yes, I accomplished this, maybe reelect me as president of the commission, you know, it's very high on her political agenda. Interesting. I mean, we've seen that with so many files as well. I was writing this week about the EU sovereignty fund. It's something that Commission President von der Leyen announced last year again, her State of the Union. Now she's under pressure to deliver it, but it's, you know, she's getting some pushback from certain sectors on it. So interesting to see what is prioritised by the European Commission as they enter this final year of their mandate. Sarah, Nick, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Thanks, Suzanne. And finally, let's keep you in the studio, Sarah, for our Decoding Brussels segment. Each week, as our listeners know, we like to take a piece of EU jargon, words that we're familiar with here in Brussels, in the Brussels bubble, and decode them for our listeners. This week, it's a phrase you mentioned earlier, transparency register. Explain. So that is an online database where... Everybody, whether they are an individual lobbyist, a company, a trade association, an NGO, anyone or entity who wants to influence European Union legislation is supposed to be registered in this database. And depending on the type of entity, it might have kind of a range of what they're spending. If it's a big lobbying firm, they have to say who their clients are. If it's a company or trade association, they're supposed to say what issues they're trying to have an influence on. And officially, the Commission and the European Parliament say that you're not supposed to be able to get into the building unless you are registered in the transparency register. But there are lots of loopholes, lawyers, there's always a question of whether a lawyer is a lobbyist, so many lawyers choose not to be registered. And another issue is foreign governments don't need to register. Thanks so much for that, Sarah. And that's all we've time for today. Please do follow the podcast wherever you're listening so you never miss an episode. If you have feedback for us or any ideas for guests or topics, you can email us at podcast at politico.eu. This week's episode was produced and edited by our executive producer for audio, Christina Gonzalez, with production assistance from Ellen Bonin. I'm Suzanne Lynch in Brussels. See you next week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, 
all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 